Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me this morning. I don't know about you, but during worship, I just wept. Just wept. Just wept because I feel the presence of God. God is so good to us, isn't he? God is so good. Well, this is round three. Are you ready for round three? I've been pumped up about this series because I really feel like God's in it. If you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 1, and I want to give you a different perspective this morning on the fight, and hopefully it will be something beneficial to you. In Exodus 1, uh, verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set their taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And as they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Python and Ramses, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. Would you read that last line with me? Here we go. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. Now let's say it together with a lot of gusto here. Here we go all together. And they were in dread with, of the children of Israel. Isn't it amazing? that they were afraid of those who they encaptured. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Speak to our hearts in a very special way, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Have you thought out? Are you the frozen chosen? Let me give you some movie lines during a fight or at the end of the fight or before a fight. See if you can recognize this. Get off my plane. Harrison Ford in uh, Air Force One. Uh, how about this? Welcome to Earth. Will Smith in Independence Day when the alien, you know, crashed. He, boom, welcome to Earth. How about this? You're a disease and I'm the cure. Sylvester Stallone in Cobra. Oh, this is one of my favorite. You call that a knife? This is a knife. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. I love it when he throws it and gets the guy hair, pins him to the, the post. Um, here's one you'll recognize. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> Princess Bride. And last but not least, if you want a war, I'll give you a war that you won't believe. Rambo, first blood. We, you know, th those are fighting words, and uh, you and I are in a fight. And it's interesting in the passage that we read this morning that Pharaoh, the Pharaoh who came years after that Joseph had died, knew what sometimes we don't know about ourselves. This is what the enemy knew about the children of Israel. Look at verse number 9. They're more than us. They're mightier than us. Verse 12, the more the Egyptians afflicted them, the more the Israelites multiplied and grew, and the Egyptians were in dread of the Israelites. If that's what the enemy knew about God's people, what does he know about us today? Now, sometimes we don't even know what we are or who we are, but the enemy knows who you are. According to Scripture, and let me just say this at the preface of this message today, sometimes natural things give us spiritual insight. 
So when we see it in the natural, we, we see it written. It gives us the indication of what's happening in the spiritual world in your life and my life. So the enemy, even though they had the Israelites in bondage, they knew they were bigger than them, mightier than them, more powerful than them, and they feared them and they dreaded them, even though Israel couldn't see that in their own mind, their heart, and their soul. I want to encourage you today to, to tell you that you're mighty through God. And you are strong through God. So question, why didn't Israel fight against the Egyptians? 400 years they didn't. Could have been four things. If you have a pencil and paper, uh, take it out. Let's write these down. Uh, could have been because they had no weapons. Did the Egyptians keep them from weapons? Did they deny access to any weapons? And certainly that's probably the case. So it could be they had no weapons and they didn't even try. Secondly, they were not organized. It seemed like there was no leader to organize them or willing to motivate them to fight. Third thing, uh, they were not resolved uh, to get out of their situation. It seems like they were resolved to stay in their situation. They were welcome to stay there. They had no ambition to fight. And sometimes our fate can be determined because we're satisfied to stay in a bad situation. How many of you know you should not stay in a bad situation? So it could be that. Fourth thing, they were paralyzed by fear possibly and they uh, had no faith to fight. And sometimes we give up. Sometimes we don't trust God. We don't, we don't stay in the fight. We don't know that God's working for us and, and with us and even through us. Let, let me share a testimony with you. Many of you already know this. Uh, Jack, who usually sits up here, uh, he had been in the hospital and had some issues. And then his wife had fallen and broken her wrist and had to have some medical treatment. And how, how many of you know, you, you go in the hospital, you have medical treatment. Oh, that's very cheap. Doesn't cost a lot of money. And so they went through that. He went through that. She went through that. And, you know, they're, they're out of a job with her. And he's still trying to work. He misses a few days. And it's Christmas time, right before Christmas. And he, he called me and he said, you know, Pastor, I don't know if I can even have enough, you know, money to even buy my kids anything for Christmas. And, and so he's kind of down. And I said, Jack, just, just keep trusting God. And, of course, we help as much as we can, but how many of you know there's things that really nobody can help you with? I mean, you're, you're at a point where you're really struggling. And I said, Jack, just trust God. And then that morning before he went to work, it's Christmas Eve, and one of his friends in church called him and said, Jack, just trust God. You just got to believe in God. So Jack was called in on Christmas Eve to work. And uh, he said, I'm a little down because uh, I just don't have any money to buy my family Christmas. And he said, I went to work and, and you know, it's a slow day. It's Christmas Eve. We're going to close at a certain time. And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then he uh, said it got closed for the, the, the restaurant to close. And he said, about the time we're sweeping up and we're going to close down, people are going to leave for Christmas, said a guy and his son walks in and they want to be served. How many of you have ever been in a job or a store and you're ready to leave and then somebody comes in at the last moment and you feel obligated to take care of them? And so he said, this guy and his son comes in and Jack said, well, I'm going to give him the best treatment I can. I'm going to serve him. It's, it's Christmas Eve. I'm ready to go. Everybody else is ready to go. But I did my best to serve him and wait on him, take care of him. And Jack said when he left, he gave me a $400 tip. How many of you know sometimes you entertain angels unaware? 
and, and he called me and he's pumped. He said, Pastor, he said, I have no money to buy my kids anything for Christmas. And the last guy, at the last moment, he comes in and for some reason he gives me a $400 tip that I can go out and buy my family Christmas. How many of you know God's on your side? He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. And sometimes we are so oppressed and suppressed, we don't realize we're stronger than what we realize because of the God that we serve and the Spirit who's dwelling within our hearts and our lives. So you and I need to be, we need to be encouraged. We don't need to be paralyzed by fear or be in a lack of faith. Let me share you a true account of uh, Israel. And this in some way is a little bit of a history lesson, if you will. It's the time of the Judges. And they've been released. Joshua's let them into the promised land and Israel has moved in. But they failed to fight and conquer the Canaanites. They only had a partial victory. They turned against God and they did evil in the sight of the Lord according to Scripture. And they turned to false gods. That's never good. And so in that condition, the Canaanite king by the name of Jaban rose up and for 20 years put them in oppression and servitude. So Israel's in the promised land, but yet they don't really enjoy the fullness of it because the Canaanite king has them under his thumb and under his heel for 20 long years. And then God raised up a woman. How many of you know if God can't find a good man, he'll find a good woman? Ladies, that was the time for you to amen me right there. If God can't find a good man, he'll find a good woman. And he raised up a woman by the name of Deborah. And Deborah became the judge over Israel. And she was a prophetess. And she began to prophesy and she said that the armies of the Canaanites will be handed to the hand of a woman. And she, she inspired a, a young man by the name of, of Barak to raise up an army to fight the Canaanites. And so Barak went up to the northern regions of Israel around Mount Tabor and he engaged the Canaanites. And this this king by the name of Jaban had a general, a commander-in-chief by the name of Sisera. Have you ever read about him in the Bible? Sisera commanded all the armies of the Canaanites. And, and when they met together and Barak is fighting, the general, the commander, he runs for his life. And of course the battle is raging and they're looking for the general. And he goes by a tent, and in the tent there is a woman by the name of J.L. This is not Star Wars, this is a woman by the name of J.L. And J.L. is there, and the, the general Cicero runs into the tent, and he says, Hide me, I'm thirsty, can you give me something to drink? She takes a goat skin full of milk, gives it to him. He's weary, he's tired, he's exhausted. And he says, would you watch the tent door? If anybody comes, you tell them, I'm not here. And so J.L. goes in where Sisera is sleeping. And she takes a tent peg, a tent stake, and kneels down beside him and puts it up next to the temple of his head and takes a hammer and drives it through his skull and pins him to the ground. Have a good day. <laughs> and then when the armies come by, she stood at the door of the tent and said, I know the one you're looking for. He's in my tent, pegged to the ground. How many of you know 
you and I have to rise up and we have to fight the good fight of faith. We have to rise up and we have to fight the enemy. In Judges chapter 5, we have this recorded in the song of Deborah. Say that with me. The song of Deborah. So Deborah is declaring, giving this testimony of what's happening. In verse 6, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. The travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose, talking about Israel, new gods. And there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Horrible conditions. 20 years of oppression. You couldn't go down the main highway. You couldn't go down the main road because there was destruction. There was thievery. The, the Canaanites ruled. So God's people had to do what? Take the back roads. You, you had to take the, the back roads. You, you, you couldn't be seen out in public because of the oppression. Notice this. They had turned to serve other gods. Now, you know, that never pleases the one and true only God. Amen. And then village life, she said, ceased as we knew it. We were not free anymore. We, we couldn't conduct our own business because of Kenyanite oppression. Then the Bible says there was war. She said there was not a shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel. Isn't that amazing? You and I have to realize that sometimes we have to understand that we do have weapons of warfare. This is not the first time this happened in Israel. Let me take you back to Egypt. Kind of the same thing, right? I can take you forward to Saul and Jonathan. Only Jonathan and Saul had, had weapons. Nobody else had any weapons. But who is she talking about? In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael. Let's take, let's take Shamgar. You have to go all the way back to Judges chapter 3 to hear his story. Shamgar is Shamgar's probably some kind of farmer, some kind of guy who works agriculturally because this is what we know. Not only is the Canaanite oppressing them, the Canaanites are in control, but there's raids from the Philistines from the south. How many of you know there's plenty of enemies in this, in this life? You don't have to look for enemies. They just accumulate. Don't they? You don't have to look for problems. They just accumulate. I don't get up every morning and say, let's have a problem. Let's have an issue. But I'll guarantee you they come. But Shamgar is mentioned by Deborah. She said, in the days of Shamgar, who's Shamgar? Shamgar is a guy when the Philistines rose up from the south, the Bible says he took an ox goad and he killed 600 of them. Do you know what an ox goad is? It's a pointy stick. That if you're plowing behind oxen, or if you have a cart, you have oxen, or, or you're traveling alongside of oxen carrying a load, you know how you got them to move? You just poked him with the sharp stick. That, that's an ox goat. You, you goaded the ox. I shared this in the early service uh, years ago when Aaron was small. Of course, we live out on a farm and a ranch, and uh, that, was, that was Shemgar's cattle prod. We, we have different cattle prods today. They're long, they have batteries in them, and they're electric. And so if you want a cow to move down the chute or whatever, you hit them and push the button, and you give them a little charge. And uh, I'd like to say I've never been hit with one of those, but I have a few times. And Dad tells the story when Aaron was very small, he was crawling through a fence. He was going through a, a metal fence, and, and he handed Aaron the cattle prod. 
And about the time Daddy got halfway through the fence, Aaron decided he would try it. <laughs> so he stuck it right up to Dad's bowhine and hit the button and gave Dad a good jolt. But then he dropped it and ran to Meemaw's house. <laughs> but Shamgar took a pointy stick. He took a pointy stick and he defeated 600 Philistines at one time. In the days of Jael, you know what she does? She goes back and rehearses this story. That when Sisera went into the tent of Jael, she didn't look for this weapon or that weapon. You know what she did? She just used what she had. She had a tent stake and she had a hammer. And when he went to sleep, she took the stake and she took the hammer and she nailed it through his skull, pegged him to the ground and defeated the army. I want to tell you, my friends, you have weapons of warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of the enemy's strongholds. You don't have an atomic bomb or a bazooka, or you may not have chemical warfare, but I'll guarantee you God's put something in your life to fight the good fight of faith. So today, when we see this and we see what's happening here, we have to realize that God wanted his people to fight and not stay oppressed. In chapter 5, and I'm going to give you this nugget, verse 23, there is a place, a community, a city, somewhere around Mount Tabor, historians say, that was called Meroz, M-E-R-O-Z. Verse 23, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord curses Meroz because you did not come to help. What does that mean? When they attacked the Canaanites, Barak, and the Israelites are throwing off the oppression. There was a community that said, we will stay neutral. We will not fight. Let me tell you, friends, there's no neutrality in this fight that we're in today. You're either in or you're out. You're on the God side or you're on the enemy side. Well, I'm not going to choose. Your indecision just made the decision on whose side you're on. And this community, according to Scripture, verse 23, the angel of the Lord cursed this community because they did not rise up to fight with the other men and women of Israel. Folks, I want to tell you, that's the only time in the entirety of Scripture this city, these people are ever, ever mentioned. You know what happened? They're gone. When you and I refuse to fight, the enemy overruns us, overtakes us. We must fight the good fight of faith. Can I hear an amen? amen. Remember the bond of Egypt? Sounds familiar. No weapons, no leader to organize them, willing to stay oppressed. Here they are again, 20 years under the hand of the enemy, oppression for them. Seems like no leader among them. Verse number 8, no shield, no spear among 40,000. And then there's an uprising. Deborah is moved. And, and this, this is what I, I, I have to just address here. How can a guy with a sharp stick kill 600 people? Did that thought ever go through your mind? How does a guy with a sharp stick kill 600 people? My friends, I believe the Spirit of the Lord falls on people. I believe the Spirit of the Lord enables people to do things that they cannot do in the natural. It moves to the supernatural. 
How in the world could he do that? It seems like sometimes when there is no weapon, we have to realize the Holy Spirit rises up in us and we have to be willing to attack and to fight against that which is oppressing us. And you and I have to be willing to take the fight to the enemy. Are we willing to say today, I will not stay in this condition anymore? No more victim mentality for me. No more am I going to wallow in poor little me or depression or pity or mediocrity or be intimidated by the enemy. No more am I going to be trapped in this condition. I don't want to be in it anymore. I'm going to fight my way out of it. And my friends, the enemy will keep you as long as you let him keep you. But this is what the enemy knows. The Egyptians knew these people are mightier than us. You know what Satan knows about you? You are mightier than he is. You are stronger than he is. Pastor, are you talking about me? You talking about me? I'm talking about the God in you. You are stronger than the enemy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I give you power over scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the enemy. You and I are going to fight and you must fight and I must fight. And you say, well, pastor, I don't have any weapons. Well, what do you got? Moses, what do you got? I got a stick. Yeah. Throw it down. Turns into a snake. Pick it up. Okay, yeah, right. Turns back into a staff. Do you realize that Moses went into the dynasty in the kingdom of Egypt with a stick? But that stick brought down the entirety of the Egyptian nation. He had a stick. Shamgar, what do you have? I got a pointy stick. Well, Shamgar, use what you got. If you'll use what you have, I'll move on you with my spirit and it will be more than enough. JL, what do you have? I just got a hammer and a tent stake. JL, just use it. And guess what? It'll be enough. Gideon, what do you got? Uh, I just got a few men. Got, got some, I got some containers and some torches. Samson, what do you got? I got a jawbone of a donkey. Well, just use it. Let me tell you something. God's put something in your hand and my hand. We can use to defeat the enemy. You have to use what you have. And if we use what we have, how many of you know it will be more than enough to fight the good fight of faith? So last issue here, we gave you four. Being paralyzed by fear and having no faith to fight. If I ask you this morning how many of the original group that left Egypt actually crossed over into the promised land, what would be your answer? Most of you would say two. It's the wrong answer, but I'll let you say it. Well, it would be two, Pastor, Joshua and Caleb. There's actually four, but we'll deal with that later. Joshua and Caleb, out of that original bunch, were the two that were with the ten that spied out the land. Remember? Moses sent out twelve spies. Joshua and Caleb are with those twelve. Can anybody give me a name of one of the other ten? I can't. I mean, I could look it up. You know what happens? Those who don't fight in faith, we forget. Are you listening to me? 
Those who don't fight in faith, we forget. They're lost to history, no legacy. No memory for us, for those who did not fight, for those who did not go, those who did not believe. But we do remember Joshua and Caleb. You know why? They believed. They fought. They went forward. So let's take these two. Joshua. Joshua took over from Moses, and that's a daunting task. Joshua, you're up. Moses is dead. This is the guy who took the stick to Egypt, brought down ten plagues upon the Egyptians, parted the Red Sea, manna fell from heaven, water came out of the rock. Okay, take over for him. Easy, right? I think a little fear, a little intimidation might have came in trying to creep into Joshua's life after Moses died. The reason I know that is because of Joshua chapter 1. Because in Joshua chapter 1, this is how God spoke to him. Three times he told Joshua, be strong and be courageous. And here's the promises of God. I'll give you this land. No man will be able to stand before you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will prosper you wherever you go. I will make your way prosperous. You will have good success. Your God is with you wherever you go. You know what he's doing? He's giving promises one after another after another to Joshua. And guess what? The word of God gives us faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So as God's speaking his word into Joshua's life, how many know faith is rising up? He's building up in faith. So he takes the children of Israel and he crosses the Jordan, the river parts, and he brings them into the promised land. So Joshua did good, right? He kept the journey going. And then there's Caleb. I love Caleb. Caleb is one of the original spies that that Moses sent out and when he was spying out the land he went by the region of Hebron and there he saw the mountain and he saw the land and he surveyed it and he went back and he talked to Moses he said Moses there's an area that we spied out I'd like to have and Moses swore to him and gave him a word he said you can have that land but how many of you know 40 years have passed they've entered the promised land another five years has passed now 45 years later Caleb shows up to take the land. He has to fight for it. He's 85 years old. Let me say that again. He's 85 years old. And I'm going to read to you his words. I yet am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and the cities were great and fortified. It may be the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. You know what he's saying? I'm just as willing at 85 as I was at 40 to take the land that God gave me. Now I realize i got to fight for it. Because just as I saw 45 years ago, there are walled cities there. There are great people there. The Anakim are there. You know who the Anakim are? They're the giants. And here an 85-year-old man is saying, give me some of that giant action. <laughs> He's saying, let, let me have them. Let me add them. You know what Caleb's name means? It means dog. You ever realize why a bulldog's nose slants backwards? It's so he can bite you and still breathe. He'll just hang on and keep breathing. Caleb has like dog-like faith. He's saying, give me this mountain. You know what he did? He held on to a promise that was 45 years old. Let me ask you a question. Has God promised you something? 
Has God shared something with you? Put a dream in your heart, a vision in your heart? Well, he has, Pastor, but that's 20 years ago. Did you lose it? Did you drop it? Did you quit believing it? Well, yeah, yeah, Pastor, but, you know, that was, that was back then. My friends, we need to have some people like Caleb. 45 years later, he's still hanging on to the promise. 45 years later, he still believes the word of God. He said, I am just as strong today as I was when I was 40. Now, I'm just going to have to take his word for that. Right? My mind says I'm just as strong today as I was at 30, but sometimes my body makes promises I can't keep. Y'all are so holy. But listen, this is what I know. He held on to a 45-year-old promise, and he didn't fear the giants. He didn't feel, fear the walled cities. He, he said, I am just as able today as I was 40 years ago. You know what he might have thought? I wasn't able really at 40, and I'm really, really maybe not able at 85, but if God's with me, I'm still able to do this. Amen? So Caleb, he is one of the original that crossed over. Can I give you another name here? How about Joseph? You said, Pastor, Joseph didn't cross over to the promised land. Well, yeah, he did. He did. Can I give you the words that Joseph said when he was dying? He said, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up from here. You know what he's saying? I'm dying, but I want to go to the promised land too. And when you go, you take me. When you go, you take me. And when they, that night, when death went through the land of Egypt and they were leaving for the promised land, they went by the tomb of Joseph, got his mummified body, packed him up in the Samsonite, and took him to the promised land. My friends, that's scripture. Not only did Joshua arrive, not only did Caleb arrive, but Joseph arrived. 400 years later, he arrived at the promised land. As we lead, as we believe God, as we fight this good fight of faith, not only are we moving forward, but we're taking everyone behind us who believed in this journey. Joshua, as you move forward, you're taking Joseph. Caleb, as you go forward, you're taking Joseph with you. My friends, the dead are not dead. Only their bodies are dead. You and I are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. They're in the grandstands looking down at the playing field, the same playing field that they once fought on and they believed in and they struggled in and they marched in and, and they moved in. And in the grandstands of heaven, they're looking down from that great cloud of witnesses saying, fight the fight, go on the journey, keep the faith, keep moving forward. Joseph, 400 years before, said, God's taking you somewhere, take me with you. My friends, as a church, we're moving forward. And every person who was a part of this journey and wanted to be a part of this journey, they're going with us. My friends, I'm going somewhere. I'm taking Dow with me. I'm going somewhere. I'm taking Sister Kaiser with me. I'm going somewhere. I'm headed somewhere. I'm taking Brother Paul Payne with me. 
I'm taking Dee Cummings with me. I'm taking Grandma Brown with me. I'm taking Larkin Verby with me. I'm taking Woody McClendon with me. Those that have gone on, I'm taking with me. What about you? Listen, they're saying God is taking you somewhere. And when you go, take me with you. All that I gave, all that I did, all my prayers, my legacy. Let me go with you because God is taking you somewhere. You'll have to fight to get there, but keep moving. I'm taking my son with me. I'm taking my mother with me. Who are you taking with you today? Church, are we taking anybody with us today? They're not here today, but guess what? Like a Joseph... They're in the grandstands of heaven saying, God's taking you somewhere. Take me with you. My friends, this is not just about you. Young people, I know this is a shock. Life is not all about you. Oh, folks, here's another shock. Life's not all about you. At 85, you're not done. Goodness gracious, give us some Caleb's. Give us some, give us some Joshua's. Give us some Shamgar's. I don't have much, but whatever I got, I'll fight with him. Give us a Samson. This may look like the jaw of a donkey to you, but let me tell you, every time I swing it, the Spirit of God moves on my life. Give us some women like a Deborah who says, if the man won't rise up, goodness gracious, I'll rise up and lead. Come on, ladies. Give us some women that will rise up. When the enemy tries to come in your house like jail, look around. See what you knock him in the head with. (laughs) Right? We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. I'm not looking to have church for another hundred years in this corner. We're headed somewhere. There are people who are not with us today that were on the journey, and I'm going to take them with me. Their legacy, their spirit, their heart. I'm not going to let them down. I'm going to do my best. Say, you believed in me, you gave, you prayed, you fought. I'm going to go on the journey, and I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to take you with me. Think in your mind. There's a loved one. There's a friend, a mentor, someone who used to sit next to you. Someone in your family, a grandmother, a mom, a dad. And you know what you ought to be saying? Man, I'm going to keep going. I'm in this fight. I'm going to keep fighting. And I'm going to take you with me. My friends, this is important. This is not all about me. And it's not all about you. It's about fighting the good fight of faith. And I'm not just fighting for me. Neither you. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.